Hey there, it's Pastor Evan here. Welcome to Unpacked. This is a new series, Unpacking Life as a Messy Human. We're exploring the soul and the strength that comes from the journey of trying to live life authentically. We hope you find it helpful and that you can see yourself in the conversations, the stories, and the interviews. Have a listen and subscribe. This week on Unpacked, we're discussing the topic of controlling our inner thoughts. I share a little bit about how you can control, have control over the kind of thought environment you create in your own mind and how the beliefs you choose to follow and challenge have a significant impact on our feelings. Using the book, Why Emotions Matter, I unpack the four ways they discuss how we can influence our thought life and improve our mental health. And I also talk a little bit about discovering our hidden beliefs, your inner critic, and understanding your motives. The Enneagram is a great tool for that one, and you know how much we love that. With the help of community and God, we can move towards healing. I hope you enjoy, and make sure to like and subscribe, and maybe even leave us a review. Hey, I uh, wanted to give uh, something a little bit of a try here. Um, I'm, I'm just going to read something that I read this week. I'm going to just riff a little bit on what I think about some of what, what, what's been provoked in my mind, so to speak. Several years ago, I recall um, going into my mentor's office and sitting down and, and we were talking about something. And at, at some point I said to him, well, you, you can't control your thoughts. And he looked at me kind of perplexed and said, well, you certainly can. And I remember that day um, kind of vividly because it was one of those days in my early life um, as a young adult where I started to wonder if that was actually possible and what that, that could mean for my life and my future. So this week I'm reading um, in, in this great book, Why Emotions Matter, um, and, and I've been using it quite a bit. It's, it's written by Tristan Collins and Jonathan Collins, and, and it's just a great book on understanding what our emotions and why they matter to us and, and the signals that our body sends us. This is kind of been one of the last chapters. I'm just going to read you a little bit, and then, I, I, and then I'm just going to talk to you about some of the suggestions that they make and some of my thoughts on those things. It says this. Many of us think of thoughts as uncontrollable. We believe we can choose what thoughts we speak aloud and act upon, but we don't think that we actually control the thoughts themselves. To a limited extent, this is true. Thoughts pop into our minds all the time without asking permission. But notice we said limited extent. You might not have control over which thoughts appear randomly in your mind, but you do have control over where your mind or thought train goes from there. You also have control over the kind of thought environment you build and encourage within your mind. You have control over the beliefs you choose to embrace and the beliefs you choose to challenge. Your thoughts have incredible influence on your feelings and it's worth working hard to make changes in this area. And then they go, let's look at four ways we can influence your thought life or you can influence your thought life for improved mental health. 
I'm going to quickly just tell you the four areas and then I'm going to kind of unpack them a little bit. The first one is resisting the downward spiral. The second, identifying our hidden commitments. And I would add our hidden beliefs. Third one is understanding your motives. And then the last one is practicing gratefulness. I'm going to do these in no particular order, but I am going to suggest this. In my little test group, which is my, my Zoom call that I do on Sundays, I asked you know, the, the folks in the group to, to just share, well, what's the most natural or easy thing for you to do? And which one are you most challenged by? And hands down, practicing gratefulness was one of the ones that they suggested was the most natural and, and easy to do. Uh, in our in our discussion, uh, one of the things that I suggested to them was that actually it's it's probably the most natural because it's the one that we were taught to practice. <laughs> um, most of us, um, if we've read anything or or even been kids in a healthy family, we were taught to be grateful. We were taught to say thank you when somebody did something nice for us. We were we were taught to to look for the good, hopefully. Uh, if we lived in a healthy environment. And, and in a way, I think that's one, one practice that we need to continue to work on. But I also think that it is the most natural. In fact, occasionally I have even suggested to people, oh, it might be worth, you know, at the end of the day, reflecting a little bit on the things you were grateful for for the day. And even when we wake up in the morning to, you know, when you're drinking that morning coffee, you'd be grateful for that coffee. Maybe, maybe that's you certainly was me this morning, but, but then also to be grateful for a good night's sleep for grateful that you have the opportunity to interact with people today that hopefully um, will, will contribute to your mental health and well-being. Right. So, so I'm not going to talk too much about that other than to say, if you aren't practicing gratefulness, or you, if you aren't practicing gratitude in some way, um, and, and or especially if it is not natural for you to do so, that that might be a, a great thing um, to practice. It, it's one of the ways of intentionally using our brains. And practicing gratitude develops a thought life that leads to more positive thinking. And so, so I, I just throw that out there. I'm not going to talk too much about that one because honestly, the other three are way more interesting to me. All right. So, and I think they will be to you. Uh, when we jump back and we go, okay, what, what does it mean to resist or resisting the downward spiral? I think this is really interesting because what, what it actually is saying is, what does it mean for us to, in a sense, talk about or take control of our thinking so that our feelings could be healthier or could be altered, right? And, and it, it can be very easy for us. I know this is for me the case. Sometimes, you know, you, you just start thinking something and then that, that maybe isn't great. And then you can think the next thing. And then you can think the next thing. And the next thing you know, you're making up stuff about how bad everything is. And, and, and we can find ourselves in that about big organizations. Like I don't, I don't like the church or I don't, I don't like whatever my neighborhood or my neighbor, but I think what's even, and, and that can be destructive for sure. But I think also it, it's even more destructive when we start doing this in our own life, 
And we start a spiral of, of worry and concern, or, or maybe we start to, to, to allow our inner critic to speak too loudly, loudly, and that inner critic begins to take us into places of hopelessness and, and destruction, right? And, 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 and it's interesting because I think this is where we actually need sometimes the community and others outside of us to remind us that our inner critic is actually telling us lies, that it's actually leading us into a more difficult uh, place. Right? In the world, we, we talk about different practices of kind of what does it mean for us to kind of set this down, like so try meditation, you know, to focus on, on breathing in and out and in and out. And these are important, important practices to calming down our interior life. In the church, we, we talk about it like prayer. Let's, I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to put that to prayer. And I don't want to be sarcastic about this, but I do think that oftentimes we, when, when we sometimes as Christians, this sounds critical, sometimes when we Christians, we go, I'm going to put that to prayer. And it's like saying, I'm going to put that out of my mind. I'm just going to put that on God to take care of. When really, I think that the response that Jesus is trying to, to say is, no, I want to, I want to be present with you in this. And help you to work towards health so that you don't have to just experience this um, downward spiral over and over and over again. Right? And, and, and so this is kind of one of those ways. In, in fact, in my group uh, on Sunday, I said, you know what? Sometimes I think um, we, need to, we need to identify our inner critic. And sometimes our inner critic, oftentimes our inner critic actually speaks and uses the same themes uh, you know, if it's, I'm not good enough, or I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not smart enough, or whatever it is, oftentimes our inner critic uses those same themes to, to break us down. And, and the reality is that it's us. It's, it's our stories. It's our past. It's our present experiences that are doing that. And, uh, and so I, I was saying to them, it's a, it's a spiritual group. And I said, you know what? I think sometimes we need to ask for, for God's spirit to speak to our inner critic that actually there, there can be a benefit to naming your inner critic, you know, giving it a name, you know, see, so, so, so that when it starts to stir up in us, we can tell it to, to be quiet and we can call it by name. Years ago, uh, when we were first planning Lake Ridge, I, I would get so anxious before church services. I was putting so much weight on that on that Sunday at the time, Sunday evening experience that my stomach would churn and I'd, I'd actually just feel sick. And I started to realize this is my like insecurity. That's what I was calling my, my insecurity is flaring up so loudly that it's making my body react. And, um, it kind of wasn't until, about, until that time I decided, you know what, I'm just going to give my insecurity a name. And so, so I gave it a name. I'll, I'll tell you this little insider on Evan. It's like, so I named my inner, my inner critic or my insecurities, Terry. And the reality was I still had to go about life. I still had to do the things I had to do. And so I would say right before I'd get up to preach or, or, or start the service or whatever difficult thing. And, and this has actually become a practice of mine that that I'll say okay god i'm here terry's here let's do this so there you go my inner critic uh my my in, inner insecurity i i gave him the name terry it, it was like he was a, an actual presence 
in the room with me. And uh, I found it very helpful, actually, to, um, to give him a name. It felt like it, it had less power over me to give him that name. And now occasionally, before I have to get up and do something difficult or have a difficult meeting, I'll say, okay, God, I'm here. Terry's here. Let's do this. And then, you know, to wrap up this little section, I think in our, my prayer life occasionally, I've said, you know what, God, I need you to talk to Terry. I need you to tell Terry to be quiet because I am struggling to do so. Anyways, humans and good friends, good relationships and community can also help with that as we, as we say some of these interior challenges we face out loud um, to, to the community. Um, it's often the fact that, that the inner critic has less power over us. So let's do what we can to work on, on resisting downward spirals. Give names to our inner critics so that that doesn't have that power over us. Some personality types most certainly have a louder inner critic than others. And that bears uh, paying attention to as well. The next uh, section is identifying hidden commitments or hidden beliefs. Okay, so I really think, I really think that this is probably one of the most important things for us to consider. You know, what are, what are the roots of our actions? Why are we, do we say some things? And, and so, so a great example of, of an inner commitment um, would be, you know, you've got a, maybe a, a relative or something challenging going on in their life and they need resources and, and you want to help them but you also are concerned about giving them any, any financial help. And it's not because you think they'll abuse that help, but because your, your hidden belief is that if you give your money away or you give your resources away, that you won't have enough. And so we, we try to figure out other ways to, to help out. It's kind of the same thing, you know, where you say like New Year's resolutions are a great example, right? Where we go, oh, it, it, in January, you know, just coming up on January 1, you go, I'm, I'm going to go on a diet or I'm going to stop drinking this year. And then, you know, you, you're two weeks into January. Maybe this wasn't the case in the pandemic, but you're two weeks into January and your friends call you up and say, hey, we're, we're going out for supper. We're going out for drinks. And, and, and you go and you find yourself you know, having some drinks or, or just doing something that was against your new year's resolution. And, and in a way, this, this is your inner belief this is your inner commitment, actually, that, that the, the belief that you want to be with your friends, it's a good thing. I think the belief that you want to be with your friends, you know, circumvents your desire to, you know, stop drinking or, or, or stop eating out, you know, spending money you don't have or those kinds of things. Right. And so this is your inner, this, this is your hidden belief that actually hanging out with your friends is more important than your financial situation or your alcohol consumption or whatever that might be. And so that, that's a, another simple, right. But, but our hidden beliefs, they sneak up on us and, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in contradiction with ourselves. And, um, and, and that, that can be one of those interesting 
realities. And so beginning to pay attention to our interior life, beginning to identify some of the hidden beliefs that are present in our life can, can be really, really important. Right. And, and I'm, I'm trying to give some, some pretty simple examples, but I, but I think there are, there are bigger examples. Like a quick one might be that you want to be committed to, to justice. Well, the way I talk about justice is that justice is to make right. It means to make right. But then we start asking ourselves about well, what does that mean? Is this punitive justice? Like where there's a penalty for it? Does, does punishing somebody always make things right? Does it, does it restore? Does it restore a relationship? Does it, does it restore brokenness in us, in our community, in other areas? Well, to be honest with you, not in every case. And then we've got this hidden belief. Do I want this person to be punished? Or do I want to actually make this right? And that can be some of those interior, you know, hidden beliefs and commitments that we have. Anyways, something to really think about. Um, what does that look like? And then to remember that, that behind every commitment is a big assumption. And that assumption is, is something that we believe to be true about ourselves or about the world. Right. But it, but it's really important. That is a big assumption. Okay. Um, pay attention to maybe little places where your hidden commitments or your hidden beliefs start popping up. Naming those hidden beliefs help us to grow as, as human beings. So just a little suggestion. Oh man. Uh, the third one or the fourth one, I guess we're already on the fourth one is understanding our motives. I'm going to give a little commercial, and I know that some of you have listened to our podcast already and have heard that both Tara and I are pretty interested in the in the Enneagram. And, and I think the reason why I'm most interested in the Enneagram is because this is this personality tool that actually helps us to do the work of revealing the actual motives that we have in our in our world for the things that we do. It's a tool that helps us to identify how we see the world, how we see relationships, how we even see ourselves in different organizations and things that we, that we do. It, it, understanding your motives is the reason why, and we're all made differently, right? The reason why some people can hear something and they hear it from a negative perspective or, or right from a hurtful perspective. And another one can go, well, that was just no big deal. Like, not a big deal at all. So understanding motives actually helps us inside the context of ourself is really important. Like why, what motivates me to do the things that I do? Good or bad? What is, what is the driving thing that's behind me, right? Do I serve others? Because like deep down, I really want them to serve me. Do I serve others? Because deep down, I really want them to give me credit. Do I serve others because I really believe that's what I'm made for? And it gives me great joy. Maybe even my faith is connected to that. You know, I'm, I'm an Enneagram seven. So the other is opposite. It's like, do I, do I find fun and exciting things to do because I'm just a fun and exciting guy? Or 
do I find fun and exciting things to do as a, as a way of avoiding or, or, you know, going around potentially painful things. It might look the same on the outside. Certainly my social media would look the same, right? Evan is doing this fun thing, or he's building this new project, or now he's got this thing going on or whatever it might be. But am I doing that because that those are the things that, that bring me the great joy? Or am I motivated actually to avoid the great pain and hurt in my life? I shared in one of our podcasts that, that in many ways, in particular in my younger years, that, that I think oftentimes I was trying to find a lot of fun, exciting things as a means of distracting. As I've learned, right, that that was maybe what was motivating me to try all these new things, I've become much more stable, much more balanced, and, and honestly, brave. I, I have more courage to allow myself to experience hurt and woundedness. woundedness. I go through kind of the, the deep waters of, of experiencing emotional pain so that I might come out the other side healthier. The, the Enneagram helps us and, and as one tool, helps us to focus on, on the blind spots in our life. And we all have them. Every one of us has them. Sometimes they're more glaring at different periods or seasons in our life when, when maybe we're going through different things. But it's another reason why we need the community. Um, the Enneagram is a helpful internal tool, but it also is an incredible tool that, that uses us can be used um, to, to care for others around us and to empathize with others, right? So um, I, I highly encourage you, uh, if you haven't heard of the Enneagram or you haven't done anything, to, to maybe do a little bit of study on that. My, my favorite intro book is, is called The Road Back to You, and it's written by Ian Cron and Susan Stabile. And they're, they're awesome. Kristen and I have had a chance even to go and hear um, Susan Stabile in, in one of her live conferences a few years back. And, and it's been a helpful tool in our marriage. It's been a helpful tool uh, in my occupation at church. Uh, it's just a helpful tool in so many different ways. So I encourage you to think about that. What, what are the motives behind your actions? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm growing increasingly tired of trying to adjust people's behavior without talking about what is, what is driving that behavior. I think that's way more the work of the church um, these days. And the church, uh, you know, running around trying to control people's behavior, um, honestly, just simply does not work. But going around and helping people to reveal motive around their behavior seems to grow people. And uh, it's one of the things that probably gives me the most joy is seeing people in my community start to experience some freedom, maybe even from the unhealthy motives, right? From, from the, the, the hidden, hidden beliefs that they have, um, from helping them to resist these downward spirals and ultimately helping them truly live a life of gratitude. It's true. Uh, thoughts jump in our head. And they jump in uninvited sometimes. But I think when we do this work of being able to interpret those thoughts, even those feelings and emotions that come in, we, we are suddenly flipping the, the script, so to speak, on our own interior life and, and taking back our capacity to be these grounded people 
who, who can do hard things. And uh, I hope that this has been helpful. As always, we sure love that you, you follow the podcast, that you like it, that you share it even more. So we love it when you give us reviews, suggest topics, all those kinds of things. And then, and then I'm going to put this out there. If you need help and you find that your, your thought life is out of control, I really would encourage you to be brave, to reach out to somebody, to talk that through. I offer myself as always to, uh, to be a resource in, uh, in either, either helping you to do that and come up with some strategies for that or to, to direct you towards healthy, healthy humans and, and other resources that could help you to do that. May God give you the grace that you need. May he give you the capacity to see these interior thoughts that are going on in your life so that they uh, don't take you into downward spirals. May you, may you take control of those things so that you can see your hidden commitments or hidden beliefs. Right? May that lead you towards understanding the motives that you have that are built into you. And then lastly, may it lead us towards living uh, more grateful and free lives in this next year.